turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. So we're at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. We've been going through Deuteronomy almost for a year now. And a consistent theme that we've had through the entire book of Deuteronomy, something we need to remember every time we approach it, is that God is holy and we are not. Right? God is holy and we are not. We are sinful. And yet the whole book, the whole premise of the book of, the De- of Deuteronomy is that it's calling us to be in this, rela- it's calling the, the, the Israelites here to, to be in a relationship with God, where th- there's a way that they are to live according to the law. Um, so Deuteronomy is Moses giving the law, the second law, in the form of a treaty saying how these two parties, God and Israel, are going to be in relationship with one another. And that's a pretty unbelievable thing, right? We should, the more we read Deuteronomy, the more unbelievable the nature, the more miraculous that the nature of that relationship should seem in our mind, right? That there's these really unholy people and this really holy God, and yet they're supposed to be in relationship with each other. So to illustrate that point this morning, I a confession of mine, I am not good with introductions and conclusions. That's just not the way my mind works very well. But I ran, ran this introduction by Allie, and she said it was fine. So I can use, I can use this introduction this morning. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the, on the topic, to, to illustrate the, the oddity the, of, of relationships that, that, that really seem like they shouldn't be that way, if you type the word unlikely into YouTube, the first, if you're like me, if your algorithm is like mine, the first thing that will pop up is unlikely animal friendships. And the first one that came up was, uh, was this, this relationship of a tiger, a lion, and a black bear. And where they grew, they've grown up together for 12 years, this tiger, this lion, and this black bear have, have grown up together. And the biologists were talking about how if these animals met in the wild, they would immediately begin combat with one another and one of those animals would die by the end of it. There's no, if, whenever this happens, whenever these animals, these apex predators meet in the wild, not, two animals are not walking away from this interaction with each other. Yet when we think about how God created everything, the Garden of Eden, how there was peace with all these, these animals before the fall. We look at that relationship, we see it as bizarre because these animals should normally fight with each other. That's what we are used to, these, these animals being uh, out of good relationship with each other. But when we see them in, in friendship with each other, we think, wow, that's actually kind of the way it should be. As odd as that is, that's kind of the way it should be, shouldn't it? There's also... The, the second animal they, they focused on was these polar bears. I think it was up in Manitoba. I think that was a place. It was someplace up in northern Canada. It starts with an M. I think it's Manitoba. But what happens there is along the coastland, the ice melts. And so these giant polar bears. So polar bears are the largest carnivorous animals besides like that are on land. There's like whales that are bigger, but that doesn't count. Um, so polar bears will come in. And they will meet these sled dogs, and the sled dogs literally look like a snack to them. They are, these polar bears are massive. They can be like 11 foot tall. But the polar bears, it looks like a Coca-Cola commercial. They're like snuggling these dogs and like playing gently with them. It's like, oh, it's so cute. I mean, these things are the, like the biggest predators on land, and they're just playing with these puppies. 
And it, it, it's, it's, it's a cute video. That's why it's one of the top uh, searched things on YouTube or whatever for the word unlikely. But you look at that relationship, you think that is so odd, but in some way that's the way it should be, right? Uh, there's also an, a much more grave and less cute thing. Um, there's, uh, if you type in Daryl Davis, you can hear the story of a man um, who, he's, he's a black man who visits KKK meetings. He makes friends with KKK members. And uh, he, he reaches out to these guys who he knows are higher-ups, you know, imperial wizards. I don't know the hierarchy or whatever. But he, he reaches out to these guys and he has conversations with them. He meets with them. He tries to understand the way they think and tries to share how he thinks. And he has these collection of hoods that have been turned into him from all these guys he's made relationships with because as they make relationships with him and understand him, they realize they don't want to be a part of this hateful organization anymore. They were wrong and they turned us in. And that he's, got, he's friends with all of these former like higher-ups in the Ku Klux Klan. And you think, wow, that's bizarre that a man who would be specifically hated by this group of people, by the, the Ku Klux Klan, that he would seek them out and try to become friends with them, yet... That's the way things should be, right? It's not the way things are. It is bizarre, but it's the way things should be, that they should be living in, in unity with one another. How much more bizarre, how much more unfathomable is it that this holy and righteous God is in relationship with us as sinful man? It's, as we look at the law, as we look at Deuteronomy, we see just how unfathomable that really should be. We should not be in right relationship with God. Yet, we see in Genesis 1, the way that man was created, that's the way things should be. Yet, it's unthinkable that that's the way things should be. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30 today, we are going to look at a, an explicit preaching of the gospel by Moses in Deuteronomy 30 um, and the restoration of our relationship with God, a, a miraculous right relationship with God. So join me. I'm going to read Deuteronomy chapter 30 all the way through. It says this, And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and when you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If, you, if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart, and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecute you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, in the fruit of your cattle, in the fruit of the ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. 
When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of the law, and when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will send to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? For the word, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, and that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land and you, th- that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish." You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land of the Lord, your, the Lord your, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. This is the word of the Lord. So as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, we've been, at, and we, as we've been in Deuteronomy, we've seen that this is an ancient treaty, this is in the form of an ancient treaty, a peace agreement between two parties. That's the form that Moses is following as he's writing Deuteronomy. And here we're coming to the end of the treaty. This is the end of it. So after that, the following chapters, the next few chapters, are going to be other, other historical events that happen at the end of Deuteronomy, other, the Song of Moses, other things that are, that are tacked on to the end of this treaty. But this is pretty much, in, in looking at the form and function of the ancient treaty, this would be the end of the treaty, the call to witness. Yet, here there's a break in following the normal patterns that had been followed with ancient treaties. Now, as we're, as we're studying this passage together, we see that there's a forgiveness clause that has been added. Now, this forgiveness clause at the end of an ancient treaty could have been in some other ancient treaties, but there's literally no examples found in ancient Near Eastern text of a forgiveness clause added at the end of a treaty like this. This is unique, where all of the curse of breaking the, of, of breaking the treaty would come on the people, and it says after you've broken the treaty, after you've forsaken everything that you promised, if you return, you will be restored. That is unique. And here, this we see this is not simply a continuation of Moses talking about the same covenant, the old covenant, the law, that he's been talking about this entire time we've been in the book of Deuteronomy. This is actually him talking about a new covenant, a new promise. When he's talking about the circumcision of the heart, he is pointing forward to the new covenant that we have in Christ. 
So some of the differences we see from that, that show us clearly this is talking about the new covenant. In verse 5, God talks about making them more prosperous than their fathers before them, that this restoration is going to be greater than the initial promise. Then in verse 6, he talks about the circumcision of the heart. So to understand how that fits into this whole picture of the covenant, we have to understand what circumcision is, because he's using circumcision of the heart as an analogy, right? It's not actual heart surgery that he's saying is going to take place to make them obey this new, this new covenant, but it's using the picture of circumcision as, as an analogy. So what is circumcision? Um, the circumcision was the sign given to Abraham, the removal of foreskin, um, that was given to him when he was given the covenant back in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12. And in, when Abraham was blessed, um, God, God told him that he was going to bless all of the nations through Abraham's offspring. So this sign of circumcision was a private sign that the Israelites would have where they would be entrusting themselves and their future generations to the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. They're saying God promised this to us that he's going to bless all the earth through us and therefore we are remembering it with this physical sign. God is going to bless the world through us, Abraham's offspring. They're entrusting themselves to God's promise. So then in Exodus 19 and 20, during the giving of the law, God is saying this is the, this is the covenant that you have to follow in order to be my people. This is what it looks like to be my people. You follow this covenant this covenant, this old, this old covenant of the law, and that's, that's what it looks like to be my people. So circumcision, the sign of being a, a child of Abraham, a Jew, and the law, what it meant to be God's people, those two things were very connected. Circumcision was a sign of being God's people. The law was the way that you lived out being God's people and entrusting yourself to the promises of God. Circumcision, a removal of skin from the body, uh, to, to entrust yourself and to show a, a physical sign of keeping God's law. However, circumcision of the heart is not something that happens outwardly. It's something that happens inwardly. Circumcision of the heart is, is describing yeah an inward change. Verse 2, it says, Return to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 6, again, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 10 says, When you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This designation is not superficial and outward. It's, he's talking about the inward man. When he's talking about heart, all your heart and all your soul, he's talking about an inward transformation that happens to you, not something you do to yourself. And so Moses, this isn't actually the first time Moses has mentioned circumcision of the heart in Deuteronomy. If you go back to Deuteronomy 10, 16, he mentioned it earlier, and he talked about circumcision of the heart being the removal of stubbornness from the heart. Whereas physical circumcision is the removal of skin from the body, spiritual circumcision, circumcision of the heart, is removal of stubbornness from the heart. So what will happen when this spiritual stubbornness is removed from the heart? 
in 30, in, in 30 verse 6, in, uh, in verse 6 of the chapter we're in today, it says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So Moses is saying this removal of stubbornness from the heart is one that allows you to love God. It is a spiritual transformation. So when your heart is, re- when the stubbornness of your heart is removed, you are allowed now, you are enabled to love God. Along with that, comes life. Spiritual circumcision, the circumcision of the heart, is a, a change from life to death. It's, be, it's new life. The New Testament talks about this as being born again, regeneration. Circumcision comes with life. That's again at the end of verse 6. It says, when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, you will live, right? Along with, along with all of these changes, we see that this... this I'm sorry. So... Um, Moses, Moses introduces the concept of circumcision of the heart here in Deuteronomy 30, and this is a theme that we see continued on later on in the Old Testament. Remember, at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, he says that after they've fallen away, after they've, go, they've gone into exile, they're going to remember the words of Deuteronomy chapter 30, and then they're going to return to God. So we see in the exile, in in the exilic prophets, um, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, this covenant is remembered. They do exactly what Moses says they're going to do. They've fallen away from the Lord. They've, they've worshipped idols. They've been brought out of the land. And while they're in exile, they now remember these promises. So if you look at uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, it says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the, Lord, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, an internal change. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Again, this, this same new covenant is brought up in Ezekiel 36, remembering the promise that Moses makes here in, in Deuteronomy 30. He says this in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So they go into the exile. These prophets remember this transformation of the heart that that was promised in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And they are looking forward to this new covenant that is going to come. The same way Paul looks back at Deuteronomy chapter 30 after Christ has come, and he, he cites uh, Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 in, in Romans chapter 2. This is how Paul interprets the, the concepts that he sees in, in, in Deuteronomy 30 in his book to the Romans. He says this in verse 25 of Romans chapter 2. He says, For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law. Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? 
then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the, the law will condemn you who have, written, who have the written code and the circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Again, in Colossians 2.11, he says this. says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision that was not made of hands, by putting off the body of flesh by circumcision of by the circumcision of Christ. So Paul is pointing to the fact that the circumcision of the, the law, the old circumcision, the circumcision of the flesh, is not going to be able to provide them with what they need to obey God and to please God. They have to be transformed inwardly. He sees this circumcision of the heart not as something that is this old covenant continued, this obedience of the law continued. This is the new covenant that is in Christ, right? So Moses and Paul both look at this circumcision of the heart and they see a greater covenant. This is this is inspired by God to look forward to a greater covenant, a new covenant that is coming. This covenant will have a greater blessing, greater peace, greater prosperity, and more than all that, it will actually transform the heart of those who follow it so that they can be in right relationship with God. Moses is looking forward to the new life that we have in Christ here, and his heart is singing with hope. So think about how his heart sings with hope here. Look at verse 11. He said, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it too far off. This whole time, throughout the entire book of Deuteronomy, Moses has been very pessimistic in regards to their ability to follow and obey the law. But here, Moses is, Moses is saying, you can actually do this. This is a new covenant that you can actually obey. This is one that you can actually keep. He is no longer pessimistic, but he's optimistic. And he, anticipates their, he anticipate, anticipates their pessimism when he says, it is not too hard, uh, it is not too hard, it is not too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But... The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your hearts that you can do it. So basically he's anticipating them saying when they're looking at these new promises, this promise of uh, this new covenant, this new heart, this new circumcision of the heart, that they'd say, yeah, that sounds good. How on earth is that going to happen? He says, no, this is actually something that you will be able to obey. You will be made that this... This, God will enable you to obey this. This is actually something that is accessible and attainable. His tone changes from pessimism to optimism to say this is, this is actually going to be effectual for you. This one is going to work. Paul cites this again, this passage again in his book to the Romans in, uh, in verses 6 through 8. Before that, in, in Romans 10, he says... He's talking about how this is not this is not the the circum or this is not the um, the righteousness that is based on the law and works, but righteousness based on faith. In verse six, 
says, do not say with your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. So he's talking about the accessibility of, what Christ, of, who, of, the, of the message of the gospel. Christ is something that you can actually, that, that, that is actually attainable. The works of the law, that would not have worked. That, that it would not have been keepable. That would not have been doable. But this promise in Christ is actually attainable because then he goes on in verse 13 of chapter 10 to say, who all who call on the name of the Lord will be blessed. It's not, there's no one who wants to receive Christ that will not receive Christ because this is accessible and attainable, this new covenant. So Moses transitions back after all of this, after talking about this new covenant. He transitions back into the pattern of this ancient treaty to, to finish off with a call to witness. He says this, I call heaven, in verse 19 he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you. This is to state plainly the, the significance of the, the agreement they were entering into, right? It's not just they are entering into agreement with other people. He's calling all heaven and earth in witness to this, to this treaty. Remember, he's gathered in the beginning of chapter 29, he gathered all of Israel there to witness the, the, this, the giving of this covenant. And at the end of this treaty, he's saying, I call not just all earth, not everyone that you see here, not just people, you're not just accountable to one another to keep this. You're also accountable to God in heaven to keep this covenant. So he signifies the importance of this covenant by who he's calling them into witness with. Not just all earth, but heaven and earth in witness against them. And he, he goes on to say, too, that the significance of this, this covenant isn't just who they are accountable to, but what will happen if they if they don't keep the treaty, if they don't keep the agreement they are agreeing to right here. He says, this is a matter of life and death. He says, in verse 15, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and statutes and rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land uh, that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. So he, he contrasts what will happen if they obey and they disobey. And he says, this is a matter of life and death, good and evil. He makes the highest amount of stakes here at the end of this treaty and says, keep the treaty. So after walking through the, this chapter of Deuteronomy chapter 30, after seeing all of this, this clear proclamation of this new covenant and the urgency by which they must keep the covenant, the, the treaty, the old covenant that they're held to, we can see that that's impossible, right? They would never, and no, no matter what, no matter how hard they would have tried, they would have not been able to keep this old covenant that was put before them. They, they, it's a matter of life and death, good and evil, and they, they were going to choose. They were going to choose evil and death. They were going to fail. No matter how strongly Moses was imploring them now to choose life, they were going to choose death and fail. Yet, that is not 
the reality for those of us who are in Christ. We have a miraculous relationship with God. Though we should not be in right relationship with God because of our sin, because of our failing, because of our absolute inability to follow God, we have been given right relationship with God. That's, that is the miraculous nature of our relationship with God. And of all the miracles that Moses could be reveling at, he's reveling at that miracle of, of we are brought into a right relationship with God. If there's one thing that the Israelites are absolutely dumbfounded by and cannot believe, it's the fact that Moses is saying there's going to be a, a circumcision of the heart, a new heart, a giving of this new relation, this right relationship with God. And they're saying there's no way, that's too good. Who's going to heaven to get that? Who's swimming across the ocean to go get this promise? He's saying, no, this is a real promise that is coming to you, a right relationship with God. So let's wonder... Let's, let's, let's let our hearts praise and worship God as we, as we focus here uh, on, on the miraculous nature of our relationship with God. So I'm going to go, I want to, I want to list five reasons or four reasons why our relationship with God is miraculous. I want to conclude by listing, listing four reasons why our relationship with God is miraculous. Our relationship with God is miraculous because our, because our hearts are stone before we are in right relationship with God. It's, we're not, if you go back to Deuteronomy 10, 16, it says, Moses talks about the, the circumcision of the heart, removing the stubbornness from our heart. The nature of our hearts before we're in right relationship with God isn't that we are like these good, well-meaning people who are like begging to be in right relationship with God. It's not like, oh, if only if only God would let me be in right relationship with him, then it would be all good. That's not the nature of our hearts before God transforms us. Before he circumcised our hearts, we are stubborn. We are enemies of God. We are not wanting to come towards God. Our sinful condition is that we are rebels against God, rejecting him. We have stone hearts that are unable to rightly be in relationship with God. We are adulterous, spiritually adulterous people who want to go off and worship other idols. We want to serve our own desires and our own flesh. We want to be the king of our own universe and we don't want to submit to God. We do not want God. That's, that is the nature of our sinful condition. Is we, it's not that we are so begging and so, standing right outside the door and begging, please God, can we come in? We are stubborn and rejecting God. That is the nature of our heart. But we are enabled when our hearts are made from stone to flesh to actually come. That, that, that is the transformation we need. We are so far we're enemies. You know, as Ephesians chapter 2 says it, we are enemies of God, chasing after the devil. We are like the rest of mankind, children of wrath. But then God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive in Christ. It's, a, it's an absolute miraculous transformation of the heart, this new life that we have. And this is real, actual transformation, right? This isn't just a, a, a knowledge, right? They, they had plenty of knowledge of the law. They knew what God wanted. They, they, Moses had said they're accountable to all these words. It says the, in verse 29 of chapter 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to the, our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. He's saying, 
you know all the law. You have it all in front of you. They had all the things that they needed to do in front of them, but they could not do it. It's not just simply knowing about God, knowing that you need right relationship with God. That's not, that's not what transforms our hearts. We, there's actual transformation inside of us that allows us to have right relationship with God and to obey him. And so when that happens, when your heart is changed, when God transforms your heart, circumcises your heart, you should see actual change in your life. You should see an actual love for God. You should see obedience and following God because the transformation that God has actually works. It really does work. And I know that there's people in this room who know a lot about the promises of God They know a lot. They can recite to you the gospel, but their hearts are still stubborn. They are holding God at arm's length. They do not, you do not want to come. You do not want to obey. You do not want to follow Christ. You you know a lot about him, and maybe some of you have even convinced yourselves that, yeah, I know a lot about the gospel, therefore I'm saved, but you don't need just knowledge about God in order to be saved. You need your heart to be transformed by God. This is not something you can do with human hands. This is not something you can do on your own. You need to ask God to transform your heart to be in right relationship. But what does Paul say? He says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not too far off. It is attainable. So God here today is calling stubborn hearts of stone and saying, I can make you, I can transform your heart to a heart of flesh. He's not too far off. So our relationship with God is miraculous because it transforms hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Our relationship with God is miraculous because God wants a relationship with us. What is the first thing it says in verse 6 after it says, it says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offering. Why? So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He wants you to love him with all your heart and all your soul. God isn't simply just wanting obedience. He's not just wanting allegiance, but he wants love. He wants a relationship with us. The transformation of our hearts happens so that we can be in right relationship with God. And this is all because God has first loved us, right? Even while we were sinners, God loved us. God before the creation of the world, predestined us in love for adoptions as, adoption as sons. God describes his relationship with us as one of a father and a son, as one of a husband and a wife. God loves us and he transforms our hearts so that we can share in this beautiful relationship with God, a relationship of love. God does not just want to transform our hearts so that we will do what he wants. That is part of it. We will be transformed so we will obey, but he transforms our hearts so that we can share in relationship with him. And this is the greatest gift that God could give us, that we could enjoy him and who he is. He wants us to love him with all our heart and all of our soul, to truly delight in who God is. He wants our hearts to sing with joy and have a life abundant in knowing God and knowing who he is. God transforms our heart with the circumcision of the heart. He brings us into right relationship with him so we can enjoy him and love him with all of our heart and all of our soul. Relationship with God is miraculous because it restores us to the the way things should be. Uh, This is a quote from the book Gentle and Lowly. Uh, Dane Ortland writes this. He says, Jesus Christ's early ministry was one of giving back to undeserving sinners 
in their humanity. We tend to think of miracles of the gospel as interruptions of the natural order, yet miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but the restoration of, the na- of, of natural order. We are so used to the, a fallen world that sickness, death, disease, pain seem natural. In fact, they are the interruptions. Right? When we think back to these, the, miracle, the, the bewildering nature of a tiger and a bear being friends with one another, yet we think, oh, this is the way it should be. Remember, the natural order, the way God created things, was not that man, he did not create man to be out of right relationship with God. He, our most inner desire, our greatest inner desire as humans is to be in right relationship with God because that's how God created the world. He didn't create the world with sickness and death and pain. And, and, and that's, that's all sin, right? That's the interruption of his natural created order. And what the gospel does and what this new relationship with God does is it restores us to the way things should be. It makes things right again. It makes us in right relationship with God. And it's explicit, too, about this, about how it's fighting back the curse of death. Right? right? It says in verse 6 that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul that you may live. What's the curse of sin? It brings on death, right? That, that when, we, when we go back to Genesis 3, through sin comes death, right? But it says now with this circumcised heart, you will live. Moses exclaims in, the, in verse 19 that they would be able to choose life, Right? That's what, that's, he would, that, as a part of their divine treaty, this right relationship with God brings life, and he enables that by changing our hearts so we can actually live. Right relationship with God frees us from the curse of sin. Right, verse 7 talks about this, that, that the curse of sin will be for his enemies, but that curse of sin will no longer be for us. Look at verse 9. It says that, the curse, remember God cursed Adam and the, cursed his work of the ground, yet God, what does God promise to restore with his circumcision of the heart? He, re- he promises to restore the fruit of the ground and of the cattle. He curses Eve and her, her, he gives her a curse in childbearing, but what does he also promise to restore in this new circumcision of the heart? He, re- he promises to restore the fruit of the womb. That our right relationship with Christ, it brings us back to the way things should be. And now what I'm saying is not that life will be perfect as soon as your heart is made new, but I'm saying that we have a hope of a perfect one day, a fully restored right order with God where there will be no more pain of the curse. Circumcision of the heart gives us this future hope of complete and absolute restoration with God it is our relationship with God is miraculous because it will restore things perfectly to the way things should be. And that is the nature of a miracle, is put, putting things back the way that they were intended to be. And finally, I want to conclude with this. It says, the relation, our, our relationship with God is miraculous because it is accessible. What is the thing that Moses wonders at the most here? Is that he says, it's not too hard. It's not too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who, who will ascend in heaven to bring it down for us. Neither is it a, beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But it's in your heart and in your, very, your, your mouth and in your heart. The word is, in your, is very near you. It is in your mouth and your heart so that you can do it. It's, it's not far off because Jesus came down 
and gave it to us. This relationship with God that we can have is no longer inaccessible, but it's actually attainable because Jesus came down and gave it to us. It is completely accessible because God became man, came down from heaven. Paul even talks about that, right? In that Romans 10, 6 through 8 passage, he said, it's not too far that you have to go up into heaven and get it because Jesus came down from heaven to give it to us. He said, it's not under the sea, or it says, he translates it under the abyss, right? The grave. It's not, we don't have to go into the grave to get it. Jesus rose up from the grave to give it to us. It's accessible because Jesus has already accomplished all of the work by coming down from heaven and by raising from the grave and by delivering it here to us today. You have this beautiful gift. And it's here. You're hearing it right now. You're hearing it from his word. It's in your words. It's in your heart. You're hearing it right now because you're hearing it in these words that you can understand. Here's here's a point of application I want to make, though. is that Paul, after he quotes that passage about the accessibility, the wonderful, beautiful accessibility of the gospel, he goes on to say, but how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how how will they hear if it has not been preached? And how will they preach unless it's been sent? So the accessibility of the gospel continues on through us right now in the Great Commission. They will not hear unless we go and deliver God's word in their words to their hearts so that they can hear and believe and receive the gospel. And you know what? God's promised that that is going to happen. That is, going to ha- that is going to happen through his people. That one day around the throne of God, there will be people from every tribe and tongue and language all worshiping because the word of God will be delivered across the seas. It will be, be delivered in their mouth and in their heart. So if you are not in right relationship with God today, if your heart is still hard, if you feel this desire to throw God off and not to follow God. I want you to hear the the accessible invitation today right now that the word of God has come to you. And to know the urgency that this is a matter of life and death. This isn't just a matter of what you do here in a church service. This is you are accountable before man because you've heard it today and before God Because he is the one who delivered this message to you. That he's calling you into a right relationship with him. Turn. Like he calls the the Israelites here, after they've fallen, after they've received the full curse of sin, after they've been walking without him, they will remember and they will return to him. And if you're hearing this today, God is asking you to turn to him and receive him. Ask him to tr- transform your heart. Say, ask, ask the Lord to change your heart from stone to flesh so that you would choose life. I, I, I echo what Moses says. Before you today is life and death. Choose life. And for those of us here who are in right relationship with God, let's wonder at this maz- amazing relationship we have. Let's... Let's just wonder at the, the miraculous nature of, this, that, of our transformed hearts. And let's bring this beautiful gospel that's able to transform hearts to the ends of the earth so that they can hear and they can receive.
Let me pray. God, the, the entire nature of this meeting is the fulfillment of, of our gathering as a church today is a fulfillment of this, that your son has come. He has made our hearts right. And then he delivered that word to us through the generations, through the, across the seas, so that the word of God would come to us and we would hear it and we would receive it and believe and our hearts would be transformed and we would be worshiping together as brothers and sisters in Christ today. Thank you for fulfilling your promises. You did exactly what you said you were going to do in Deuteronomy 30 and we are waiting, God, for the full restoration, so a, a perfect relationship with you when everything, when all sin and all death and all pain is, is done away with. Uh, Lord, that's where we have our hope in this morning. I pray that if there's any here who are not yet in that right relationship, that you would transform their hearts as only you can do. This is not something that can be performed by human hands. This is something that your hands need to do that, to transform our heart. We pray these things in your name. Amen.